For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Millennial Money. We're super excited today to talk about this crazy shift in the stock market and some movements, especially in meme stocks. We're going to be talking about those. But first... We want to remind you about Weeble in the link down below, our Millennial Money Clips channel also in the link down below, and a very special message from Graham. Yay! So uh, I, I just want to mention this here first, and Kevin, I got to give you an update on this too. A while ago, well, a while ago, like a week ago, I reached out to Kevin and uh, I asked him a question if he wanted his own coffee for sale at bankrollcoffee.com, and we would donate the proceeds of that to your campaign. So I'm really excited to announce that uh, labels are being printed right now. We're getting the photography ready later this week. So I want to say like by the end of the week, hopefully we should have that ready for sale. at bankrollcoffee.com. Nice. So Jeremy. Awesome. You're yeah. Next. And if you guys, if you haven't got to check out the Hungry Bowl, make sure you download it. We're now on iOS and Android. That's a way to track your stocks, track your cryptos, do some research on stocks, listen to earnings calls. And we got so much more coming, including dark mode, which I think is a, an, uh, an update that's coming tonight, I believe. So definitely check out the Hungry Bowl. I'll kick it over to Andre. Wow. I've just been prom promoting Kevin on my Instagram. I'm sending everybody a message that I know lives in California. I'm like, go vote for Kevin. And I got a few people and I think the web's going to spread. But other than that, I'm putting out a magic course where you can learn how to do card tricks. It's, it's going to be awesome. Uh, do that again. No, I'm just kidding. I got excited. These, these, okay. These are called isolations and they're pretty cool. Wow. Isn't that sick? Yeah. That's yeah. Cool. Tricks are for kids. What's up? So no, wait, wait, wait. Uh, you can, can actually you do it again. Now? Oh, do it again. Do it again. All right, all right, all right. Go, monkey, go. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. This is called cylinder, and it looked like this. I'm not warmed Whoa. up, but uh, it's called the worm because it looks like the worm. Uh, this is called the thumb propulsion technique. Kind of looks like this. <sighs> Took me forever to learn all that. And uh, here's a fun one called L cuts. I don't know why they're called L cuts, but I don't know if you can tell. And then I don't know if you guys have seen people shuffle in the casino. They probably shuffle like this. You've seen it, right? Yeah. But with cardistry, you can actually do that with one hand. Let's see if I can do it. <sighs> see if it can focus on my hand instead of my face. Whoa. <laughs> what? Yeah, anyway, that's not what I'm promoting wow. at all. I'm actually here to talk about my Patreon, which you can find in the link down below where you can plug in your stocks into the spreadsheet. And if you're a dividend investor and you'll have passive income, it tells you exactly how much you're going to get paid when you get paid. Your diversification across sectors and it's a lot of fun stuff. So anyway, that's down line. Down that, that was cool. Do if it, I sign up for that, will you do a magic trick, Andre? Because that I was amazing. I personally come to your house and entertain your kids like I've done before. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh. Don't, don't, hey, Andre, I got a secret. Don't tell Graham and Kevin, but you're my kid's favorite, actually. Okay? I know. No, that's no secret. <laughs> Enzo loves card tricks, man. Oh, man. He can watch that all day. Oh, my goodness, guys. So, where do we start? Did you guys see those meme stocks? Or, I don't know, man, uh, meme stocks. Momentum. I don't know. 
Yes, momentum stocks. Momentum stocks. Yes. I call them movement stocks. Momentum <laughs> stocks were on the move today. Uh, GameStop was up 27%. I think AMC was up 20%. Um, obviously, the chef had a great day yesterday, up 10%. It was only up 2% today. We had, um, I'm trying to think some other ones. That Honest Company was up 8%. What, what do you think is going on here, Kevin? Because these are some pretty dang big moves. Hey, well, first of all, I'm still lingering a little bit because I, I don't know. I, I thought Enzo and I had a thing with Lego, you know, Lego pretend guns. So I'm a little disappointed <laughs> that, that the 24 frame per second master over here is, is flying these cards around. I'm trying to see how the trick's getting done well. And I'm like, why is he not on 60 frames so I could see it better? <laughs> yeah. Awesome. But uh, yeah, look, I, I think people are transitioning from uh, from crypto and cash to to stocks uh, i think uh i think the market's like okay look we get it there's delta we've been through this before we've done the dress rehearsal okay we get it well the fed's gonna taper one of these days or they won't uh, i think the market realizes we've heard supply chain shortages and a ship crisis uh and container sh shipping crisis as well over and over again like we're over it we got it the market priced in some fear last week and this week the market's just like you know what we got too much cash. We got too much crypto. Crypto's done well. Let's start moving into some some buy the dip stocks. And uh, I think the last uh, what two days here, we've we've been seeing straight up buy the dipping. It's crazy. Uh, them the chip shortage is so bad that my Model Y order got pushed back from November to December now. Wow. It's, it's crazy. Oh, yeah. End of December. That's Ooh. not fair. Hey, Andre, yeah, why we're on the, the subject before we get back on the stocks of, of Tesla and a dirty little tactic. So this happened, Kevin. So Tesla uh -oh. delayed my plaid. Now, I have it for $10,000 cheaper than what current uh, customers have. So what I've oh, been they moved told, mine up. Say what? <laughs> they moved mine up. <laughs> I know. So I can cancel my order, get the uh, order a plaid and get it like way sooner than mine. But from my understanding, they don't want to take that hit on margin. It's a $10,000 hit, right? And so they push back people like myself so they could sell full price plaids first, bring down cost over the coming months. It's kind of dirty by Tesla. Makes um, sense though. Yeah, it's yeah. kind of dirty though. I'm Wait, skeptical now. Yeah. How did you find I out? As I have been and told. I have been told. Okay. That's that's all I'm going to say about that. I have been told that is a reason. Obviously, these are uh, things that can't be confirmed, uh, but I have been told that. And it honestly kind of makes sense. And I've heard other people complain about certain things like this in the past, but I don't know. It's just, uh, I think Tesla put themselves in a weird situation because it, 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 you know, usually Tesla wants to sell for the most money possible when they come out with a car. But now you got people like myself that have a ten thousand dollars under what it currently is. So I don't know if that means Tesla loses money or they don't make any money on the car. But ten thousand dollars is a lot is not a small amount, right? Especially if you add it up across hundreds or thousands of cars, that could be the difference between an EPS hit or miss. And that could be the difference between everybody on CNBC saying Tesla just destroyed numbers or Tesla just had a small miss. And those are two very, very different things. And, and the stock yeah, price that, could react so differently. I mean, that's in, in a way that's kind of true because look, if you had a $140,000 car and you know, the, the uh, general profit in these is, is somewhere around, let's say 23%, not including vehicular, uh, you know, energy credits or whatever, that's $32,000. Of, of of profit that's basically going uh, of, of gross profit, 
And if you have an extra $10,000, which is basically pure profit, you know, additional $10,000, that's almost like 25% more profit per vehicle. So when you break it down like that, yeah, 10 grand of pure profit. Yeah, but yeah, how that big is sense. that really going to be? Because it's only on the plaid, unless you're doing this across all cars. And if you happen well, to they buy the have... car before they raise the price, it's like a little bit on everything. Well, maybe, but like the the thing about the plaid is the people who are buying the plaid, they're basically, I mean, that's that's almost like, in my opinion, the profit for a company like Tesla, because, you know, you get a 23% margin or whatever on, on a, you know, Model Y or Andre's car, you know, like Andre's Model Y, for example, that's $11,000 of profit. That extra 10 grand is literally like all of the profit, like 10 grand more from Jeremy is literally like all of the profit on Andre's car. Do you guys remember when they were giving away roadsters to the people who were the top referees? Yep. Yeah. That's how long are those people gonna have to wait for their roadsters <laughs> for the That's free road? Be, part, of me thinks so, part of me wonders if they're ever gonna get the car. I hate to say it, but by now I feel like they're gonna have to re-update the car so much because right. how long have they been delaying this? Five years now, six years? Sure. So by the and time by it's actually gonna be time to release the car, they're gonna be well, we came out with the roadster 2.0. It's even faster. Uh, it's even better. And then all the original people are like, wait a second. Do I get right. the 2.0? They're like, no, 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 you don't get that. Yeah, the terms have changed. That's true. Yes. Yeah. Because you know what? They still did this. Uh, you know, I, I, for a while, uh, when they they got rid of that uh, the Roadster giveaway, they were doing this thing for, where for every person you referred to buy a Tesla, you had one entry to win either a Roadster, a Model Y, a, a so they were giving away all these cars once a month. I have not seen one person win a car in two years. No, not to mention, I was, I was reading through Reddit and people were like, oh, yeah, I was so excited to get my Model Y or my Model 3. They would come out with like the car and there's like a red bow on top of it. It would be like a whole event. And nowadays they're like, yeah, they don't even care. You just come in and you just pick it up. Like, wait, <laughs> to, wait to not not to win the car, but to no, not to win the car. It's just when they used oh. to deliver cars before Tesla became so big, they used to make huge events out of every delivery. And now it's like, oh, just just go pick it up. Yeah, <laughs> I know. They they uh, when you go to pick up a car at Tesla nowadays, like sometimes they're like, "Do you need me to show you like how it works?" <laughs> right. Right. And you like, you know, I'm like, no, it's all right. And they're like, oh, thank goodness. You know, they don't say that, but in their head, they're like, dang, uh, let me just sign the next person. But uh, so, hey, we got to come back and talk about stocks. But first off, Kevin, I saw your video earlier today about the CNN situation. I know it's a completely oh, different yeah. subject, but I, man, I, I just like itching to talk about that. that that's crazy. I mean, they, for them to do, you know, that whole situation, that's nuts. I don't know if you want to tell people what happened there. That's disgusting. Yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's really sad because I just, uh, I don't know. I think I feel, it, I feel like before politics, I had a whole lot more faith in, like, quite frankly, humanity. Because it's just like every level of politician that, that we look into. Like, I've got a debate tomorrow in, in Sacramento against three other candidates. And every time I look into things, it's just like, oh, that just does, that seems shady or like, wow, it's where, where the political donations go. Surprise, surprise. That's what the politicians are doing. Uh, or, but this thing with CNN, I always thought, well, at least I'm sure the media is trying to be aggressive at, at, at trying to get the truth out there, uh, which, you know, I look at now and I'm like, oh, I was pretty naive. But but I thought that, you know, I, I thought, OK, well, these are our institutions and they don't want to be seen as as giving wrong information because if they give wrong information, they, they lose trust. Right. Uh, and so CNN publishes an article 
and uh and, and they they know we exist first of all we've we're one or two number one or number two in the polls to replace gavin newsom in august uh we're kicking butt uh the three people i'm debating tomorrow i'm polling higher than all three of them combined wow. <laughs> uh and so uh you know cnn pitches uh, Newsom's idea of, oh, vote no on recall. And then they talk about Larry Elder, you know, vote for Larry Elder or whatever is, is his argument. And then they go, there are no Democrats competing against the governor from his own party. And I'm like, what the fuck? <laughs> like, what, what what have we been doing? Like the Associated Press just did a piece on us. CNN did a piece on us. The Washington Post, the uh, LA Times, the SAC B, San Francisco. Like we're, we're in all of the news. Fox puts us on TV. Uh, Fox showed up at our rally. Fox National showed up at a rally and, and CNN wants to pretend we don't exist. It, it, it feels shady. Uh, it feels like it's like uh, it's almost like coordinated, like they're friends of Newsom and they're like, oh, we'll take care of you, Newsom. You know, it's just dark. Ugh. Wow. Did they get back to you? Nope, not yet. Nothing. How so we, I mean, we'll just back. end up having to file a lawsuit. They're just scumbags. Um, How long do you give them? 24 hours? Probably, uh, it, it, you know, let, let this sit, maybe uh, decide exactly what we want to do by Thursday, Friday, make sure, see that, uh, you know, that, that would be plenty of time for them to have made corrections or whatever. But, you know, Got time's it. of the essence, too, because the election's in like three weeks. Got Kevin, it. You said notice with editors, they're so fast because they take that stuff so seriously. My experience with all editors is that usually during business hours, they'll get back to you within like an hour or two. Mm. Oh, wow. Kevin, did you see that story I sent you about the voting, the envelope where you could see if they voted for or not for? Is that any truth to that or was that just a thing that got spread on TikTok? So, some counties have uh, holes in the little envelopes for ballots. And uh, yeah, these holes just happen to perfectly align with whether you filled in the circle on yes or no on recall. So you have to be really careful like how you fold up the, uh, the ballot to put it in. But... I just don't put any shenanigans past what's happening uh, in, in politics because I think it's uh, there, there's a lot more crookedness than than uh, than than meets the eye when you first think about it, and it's really sad because it, you know it, it gambles with people's lives. We wonder why things are so efficient. It's like oh well, no surprise. I don't know you see it, and it's just dirty. It's sad. Jeez. All right. Yeah, and just just so everybody knows why that's such a big deal, uh, this back to the CNN situation, it's such a big deal because uh, essentially that can make people believe that if Newsom's out, then a Republican's in, and and a lot of folks in California would be like, oh no, can't have that happen. So that's why it's such a big deal, right, Kevin? Right. That. Thank you for that, Jeremy. Yeah, they're creating this false dichotomy that it's either Newsom or it's Elder. Well, that's not true. It's either. Newsom, and if it's either Newsom, yes or no, and if it's uh, no Newsom, like get rid of Newsom, then uh, that then we could people could choose. Do they want a Democrat, a JFK style Democrat. Do they want Larry Elder? Do they want a different Republican? You know, they, there's plenty of choice. How, do you know uh, roughly how many of the votes have already been put in? Uh, the only score we had was last week. Uh, Friday, I want to say by last week, Friday, maybe 8% of the ballots have been sent in. I, th I think most people are going to get a lot more serious about this election in the last two weeks of the election. I agree. When do you find out for sure? Is it going to be on the 14th or is it going to be like... Yeah, in fact, there's already like uh, NBC and, and uh, the Associated Press and other companies are like, Kevin, where's your viewing party going to be? And I'm like, we'll let you know when we know. <laughs> 
You know what, Kevin? You should come to Las Vegas and we can all do a viewing party together here. On Millennial Money. Oh, that would be that would be crazy. Yes. <laughs> yeah, wait that. a second. It is going to be a Tuesday, Kevin. Oh, man. It's going to be Millennial Money no, Night. That, we got to do it. Just for the night. You, you could fly in just for the night. If you win, we celebrate. If, if When you win. How about that? Yes. When you win. Dude, that, we live stream it on Millennial Money. Let us know in the comments if you guys would appreciate that. Smash a thumbs up if you guys want to so cool. live stream. Oh, that'd be so cool. <laughs> oh, man. And, and so and it's interesting, Kevin, because it seems like, you know, your odds have just kind of gone up over time. So I'm just curious, would you rather have the election, let's say, two months from now versus it going on right now? Uh, do you think that would have given you even more time or do you think like it, it all it is what it is? Uh, yeah, it's. It, I mean, sure. Yeah, more time would have been great. Uh, they did this on purpose. The they, it should have been November in a typical election time frame, but uh, they had the right to move it up, and I'm sure they did because they were hoping that COVID wouldn't be a big issue and that fires wouldn't be a big issue, uh, and uh, both are big issues right now. And Newsom's kind of screwing up. So uh, you know, who knows? Hey, one of those things though that is what it is. Dude, and the fires are starting to make me mad because the thing is, every day I have to wake up in here in Vegas, man. The smoke's coming up. It's clouds are or clouded our whole city again today. The smoke coming from those California fires. Wait, is there a, is there smoke today? Yeah, it was smoky really? out there for sure, man. Oh. Unless, get, get the, unless the casinos this, let out all their smoke. <laughs> this just came out today and it blew my mind. So first of all, preface about two months ago. Uh, NPR did this whole exposed piece on how Gavin Newsom overstated fire prevention by 690%. So that's the old news. Today, leaked emails were discovered by the, the news that on the day that NPR article came out, the Newsom administration quickly tried to remove reference to their commitment from the websites of of uh, like Cal Fire and other uh, and other departments to pretend like they never made that promise that they were going to you know conduct certain acreage of wildfire clearing uh, or that they did and, uh, and 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 so it's crazy because it's like wait a minute so you lied about what you were going to do and now you're trying to cover it up after you got exposed it's like this is this is classic crappy politics it's it's like cancerous is what it feels like that's insane dude it's crazy that that your nickname the meet kevin thing i thought that was really bad like it seemed like it was the end of the campaign and yet it was just a small bump in the road like that was not a big yeah deal. It, it, it ended up working out uh i i thought rebranding to kevin Pafrath was gonna be like so freaking hard because everybody knows me as as meet kevin but uh yeah so far it's been okay that's yeah. cool so back to those meme stocks. <laughs> the momentum stocks. The momentum <laughs> stocks. Okay, so hey, who's who's playing Robin Hood here? Personally, I'm not I'm not playing Robin Hood. I know that one's getting lumped up in there. But you are Graham. You're in you the hood. Right. Listen, uh, right at, so I, I did not buy their IPO. Um, but honestly, over the last what two weeks has it been? I've just been dollar cost averaging. That's it. I mean, it's not like a heavy position by any means, but, uh, you know, every day. Just a couple million dollars. Just a couple million dollars. No, I think, I think total uh, 30 grand, I think I'm in so far, maybe 35 grand. And it's just, I, I'm probably going to get it to a size where it's equal to almost everything else that I own. And there's like 50 different stocks in there. That's it. 
and then to see what happens. It's crazy. For most people, I guarantee you 30 grand is like their maximum position in like a <laughs> an average retiree's portfolio. But yeah, that is sure, like a small sure. percent of your net worth. But still, yeah. now I haven't I haven't played Robinhood. Uh, I petitioned we change the ticker symbol to Rob instead of Hood. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> That's I, don't, I don't have it. I don't have You're it. Saving that joke all day. <laughs> I have. I practiced it in front of the mirror, but no, I, I skipped out on the IPO and I wanted to buy it on the second day, but I was traveling. And then by the time the day finished, I was like, it got away. What, what did it go up? Like 20, 30%. I don't remember what it was. Like, it dropped a low third. It dropped like 33 and then it skyrocketed to 70 out of yeah. nowhere. Yeah. And then it's been a slow and steady burn since then. And uh, yeah, if, I mean, we'll see what happens over the next like two, three weeks. Definitely of, a lot, there is a lot of momentum around it. And I think the more that meme stocks go up, I think the better that is for really all stock trading platforms. It's not just Robinhood. I mean, I think that they're one of the easiest ones to, to invest in right now uh, in terms of buying their, their company. But uh, I think it's good for good. But uh, it brings a lot of awareness and business to a lot of the platforms. So besides Graham, do you guys follow any meme stocks? Are you buying anything or have you? Oh, Jeremy, you want to go on this? <laughs> well, how many is it? No, how much time do we have? No, but uh, I mean, obviously, you guys know what, what obviously I've been buying recently um, when it comes to the chef. So but, you know, when I look at it, I, it does make me it make me say, man, you know, like, where's all that money come from in, in these squeezes? It it. It can't be retail, right? Because retail's already bought into these a lot of these names, right? Like, what what made Chef go up ten percent yesterday? It's not retail traders. Like, if retail was buying, they were buying on those, you know, when it dipped to sixteen or whatever, right? Um, you know, it's not retail that pushed up AMC twenty percent today. It's not retail traders that pushed up GameStop twenty seven percent. It seems like all of a sudden it's hedge fund money, maybe a coordinated move. Um, that's not on the, that's not on the short side, and they're looking at this and they're like, "Hey, we can squeeze them here today." The hedge funds pile in, volume goes crazy, and next thing you know, all of a sudden the shorts are being forced to cover because the stocks, you know, goes up way more than shorts anticipate. Like you know, a ten percent, fifteen, twenty percent move, you know, those are huge. I think GameStop was up over thirty percent at some point today. That's going to force out a lot of shorts really quickly. And um, it seems like, honestly, it's big money moving around. It seems like retail just kind of like is along for the ride. And we're just kind of like surfing around if you're in any of the stocks. Jeremy, are you looking at any graphs or charts that we could see that could tell exactly what the data is between who's buying? Like, is there such a thing that kind of exists where you can tell how much of it is retail volume, how much of it is institutional money? I don't personally look at anything like that. Kevin might have something like that, but I don't look at anything like that. I don't know if Bloomberg Terminal would. I don't think they can really disclose it like that. I could be wrong, though. But, uh, I mean, just usually it's a good thing to look at volume. If volume skyrockets on a random day, generally speaking, it's not retail. It can be, but generally speaking, it's not, especially if it's a stock that everybody knows about. Like, you know, you're looking at the stocks that already that pumped huge today, AMC, GameStop, all the, you know, everything in that space. Those are all stocks that are very, very known. And the fact that volume just goes crazy out of nowhere, it definitely feels like hedge fund money coming in. And then the shorts or, you know, the short hedge funds all of a sudden are like, crap, cover, 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 or being forced to cover because they stop loss to start getting hit. And right. it just compounds. Um, so what do you think, so, Kevin? 
I don't know. I mean, I, I maybe uh, it, it seems like we definitely have this risk on appetite right now. And uh, one of the crazy things that happens is it, it, when risk goes on, people are looking for, OK, what what's depressed? What has been sold down for a little bit? And then they just plow everything in. Uh, and uh, I don't let, know, let I me ask like you this real quick, happened. Kevin, uh, who, who's people? Because I, I don't think John on Robin Hood is doing that. I'm certainly not doing that. So I, who, who's people? I think you're, you're speaking about hedge funds, really, because I don't think average Joes uh, or even folks like myself are out there. Like, also, I'm like, oh, now we got to go all in today, you know. I think you'd be surprised. I think a lot of people became traders during the pandemic, and uh, you know they're they're trading with accounts uh, ranging from a thousand to twenty thousand dollars, maybe thirty, forty thousand dollars. And you know, when, when when you got four or five grand, are you going to diversify into into fifty different stocks? Probably not. It's like let let's play the game. Let's uh, let's let's trade. So I don't know. I I think you might be surprised, and it could be a lot larger retail share. Now, don't get me wrong. Trade like the institutions, they trade too. Uh, and so I think they can exacerbate what's going on, but I wouldn't underestimate retail. I'd love to find a stat for you. I, I don't I don't know how to find it, but I will. So try. Do you think there's a chance then maybe just it just happens to go up alongside with the market, maybe five, six percent. People see that start buying in. It starts rising higher. People are like, oh, this is it again. It's up 10 percent. Let's buy in. And then you slowly just start the cycle of piling in because it's just it's going up. And now the fact that. It hit, uh, I think it was on the front page of CNN earlier today. Maybe at that now, it, you know what, you know what, the, the downside is it, it seems like every time it's on CNN, uh, CNBC, it's too late. Almost yeah. every single time. By the time they cover it, and that's like, that's the peak. Yeah. Have you guys seen the story about dark pools? Hmm? Have you guys seen the story about dark pools, about how their lack of transparency and what they do and they don't have to report trades? I think it was like several hours after they make it. I mean, it allows them to do some pretty crazy moves. I don't know if you guys are very familiar with it. It's very kind of like cloak and dagger element of the stock market. And I'm not like an expert on it, but it's it's really interesting. I haven't seen it. No? Yeah, dark, dark bulls are uh, kind of fascinating. You should look into them. I don't know much about them. It's just It, it just allows hedge funds to uh, execute their trades on better prices. And... Uh, and they don't actually pay any brokerage fees and they they're allowed to buy and sell positions without moving the underlying equity. So if they buy, let's say, whatever, a couple hundred thousand shares, normally, if you were to do it on a public brokerage, the price of that stock would be affected, which is a good thing because it allows the public to see those stock prices move. And so it keeps us informed. But in a dark pool scenario, it allows them to buy in lump, kind of like wholesale, without affecting the price of the equity itself. Usually, Andre, I think usually that, that situation is only if it's like a significant shareholder is trying to sell out or something um, that, that you can kind of do a private deal like that. For instance, uh, Steve, when Steve Wynn had to step down from Wynn, obviously he owned like uh, 10 or 12 percent of the company or something like that. They're not going to do that on the public market, obviously, because that would just be ridiculous to sell 10 or 12 percent of the company in one day or something like that or in one hour. So that that might be what you're referring to there, I'm thinking. Um, and sometimes it makes sense. But for the most part, unless it's some crazy lump sum like that, usually um, it has to go through the public markets. But This happens with the meme stocks is is kind of what I'm getting at. Like it, this happens and they, they manipulate the prices behind closed doors without really us knowing. 
So there is some really special wizardry going on behind the scenes that I think a lot of people are not aware of. Um, so I'd be interested to learn more about it. I don't know much about it. It's a, yeah, really I mean, definitely things can go on behind closed doors that you don't even need to get into any dark pool situation. Like, for instance, it wouldn't have been uh, rocket science for a few big hedge fund managers, not even huge hedge fund managers, just a few big actively traded funds to have had a meeting yesterday or the day before and been like, hey, you know, Wednesday or excuse me, Tuesday. Mm -hmm. Let's, let's move these babies and, um, you know, just buy, buy, buy up everything in sight. They, they push the price up so, so fast. There's not enough selling pressure out there. And there's just so much buying pressure. And next thing you know, you get a massive short squeeze. It, it amplifies it. And then they back it with more buying on top of that. Then also right. you, you can get more retail in saying, oh, man, this is the move. We're yeah, gonna but, but, but that's the difference is when you do that on a public exchange, those price changes are immediate. Whereas mm -hmm. in a dark pool, they're not reflected until several hours after they happen. And that's when the public gets hurt because we don't have that info the moment that it happens. Yeah. Kevin, what do you have? To <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I know there's always a, a hunt, especially in momentum stocks, to look for the boogeyman and, and a reason to, uh, to invest. Uh, I, I think there are a lot of arcane things that happen. In, uh, in in finance and in the uh, institutional world, but I don't know how much of that has to do with uh, uh, you know coordinated attacks by multiple different funds because I feel like they would all try to take advantage of each other if they could, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like uh, just uh, to to balance out those bets. So I don't know. I mean, that's it. It just it. it, it I mean, maybe, but. Um, to me, I, I don't. I try not to let that affect my investing. Let me put it that way. Sure, Graham. In, in yeah. LA real estate, is there anything that ever goes on? You know, we're talking about this dark pool situation. Is there ever a situation where uh, a house can kind of not actually be publicly listed, but if you're in the know, uh, you kind of get a head, a head, uh, like like a heads up on it. Like, hey, this isn't publicly listed yet, but we're we're letting a certain group of folks oh, that are no. in. Yeah, that goes on. Kevin's smiling because uh, yeah. we we've gotten in, into uh, some debauchery where where Kevin was uh, debating people who would argue they, they're called pocket listings. Okay. And uh, yeah, so all the I, I don't want to say all the time, but but there are listings where the seller just doesn't want the hassle of listing the home publicly on the MLS. They don't want to field a whole bunch of phone calls. They don't want a whole bunch of strangers running through the house. So instead. Either the realtor calls up and says, hey, I got a client who wants to buy your house. Do you want to sell it? Yes, no. Or they call the realtor and they say, hey, uh, if you have a buyer who's interested in paying this, let us know. We don't want to list it. We don't want anybody to know about it. But if you have somebody, and of course, the realtor will you know, make a few phone calls, call around every now and then we'll bring a buyer. So it happens. It's, it's usually something that, that's beneficial to the seller. And the buyer also likes the fact that, that they're getting something that's off market. It's kind of a, it's got an allure to it, but uh, usually it's better for the seller to list the property on the MLS, gain maximum exposure. No, back, you know what? Funny enough, the weekend just bought a seventy million dollar home in uh, Los Angeles that was off market. Wow, it was an off market deal, and uh, I was reading up on it. Really great. Uh, these two realtors, Brandon and Rainey, they're they're one of the best one of the top real besides the Oppenheim group of course but Brandon and Ramey are are really one of the top realtors and they have been for quite some time in LA and apparently they just called up the seller and they say hey we, we're working with a buyer right now 
your house is perfect. Would you consider selling it? And they thought, well, if we get this price, fine. Brought them the price, 70 million bucks. Wow. And it's a gorgeous wow. house. It's really nice. That's that's incredible. And so now when these pocket listings, are they generally above a certain price point? No. Okay. They could be usually, I mean, if we're, if we're putting them into categories, generally above like 30, 40 million, you're more likely to get pocket listings uh, just because the sellers are really private people. They don't want pictures of their house online. And plus you got to think the market of uh, the type of buyers willing to spend 70 million at, I mean, it's probably a few thousand people realistically, or maybe a few hundred at any given time looking to buy a house. You don't want to advertise that on Zillow. So, <laughs> but, but you know what? It does exist in lower price points, but usually those are from agents who are like, hey, I just got a client. There's nothing available. You want to sell your house? They'll pay the X amount. Perfect. No, when it's it, simple. When it comes to NFTs, I, I've seen people manipulate them and sell them to their friends. And be like, hey, I made I made this artwork. Could you buy it from me for like a hundred grand and then resell it, right? And so it creates this artificial market price that perhaps is not deserved. And there's a lot of price manipulation. So has there and has there ever been any incidences on real estate in real estate that maybe the same thing kind of has? Well, happened here's where, just one thing I want to mention oh. on NFTs. It would be silly. I mean, you really have to be kind of a nutty to purchase an NFT beyond a certain point because you got to think of it fees associated with that i mean what are some of these these companies taking like 20 to 50 percent on nfts right um for, yeah no. on a lot of the, there's some that where you create them yourself and they take like 40 50 percent yeah, i remember if yes if you're selling a hundred thousand dollar nft that's was worthless a couple minutes ago well, what's 10 percent? you know it's, it's like whatever you know 10 grand okay well anyway you know you get these the only time I've seen some shady business in real estate was uh, it'll, it'll, it's only happened once, but there was a house that uh, the seller was just a little, didn't exactly know, like he never lived in this house and uh, bought it for a price that in my opinion was like 35% above what the place was actually worth at the time, cash. Mm. And it made me think, well, is this, is there something suspicious going on. I mean, you're paying 35% over asking cash on a place that you never lived in. Maybe there's something going on, but that that's the shadiest that I've seen. Hmm. Kevin, like well, it's so easy. Sorry. It's just like list a house and then let a wealthy family member to just buy it from you. And they'd be like, well, it previously sold for whatever. And then just, let me just put it on the open market. Just that's what people do on NFTs all the time. It's, I don't know. There's gotta be a lot of shady stuff that goes on everywhere. Real estate. It's, it's that's a hassle, and then you have to deal with uh, property taxes being reassessed. That's true, right. Oh, right. That's true. Yeah, Kevin. It, so Graham said you is something about debate uh, around this populist. Did you hate him? Did you like him? Well, what's going on here? I got to know about this. Love him as a buyer. Uh, you know, it, it, it's a look. Yeah, when when things happen off market in in real estate, uh, personally, I think that the seller usually ends up getting ripped off because they're they're not exposing themselves to full potential market value of, of uh, what they could get if there was a competition for that property. Uh, in stocks, I don't know if if the, the desire is the same because you've got 
the, see, price discovery is very clear in the stock market. When you have, so let's say you have a dark pool and let's say Andre, you're dark pool one or whatever, or, or whatever, you guys are both in a pool. Let's say Andre, you're, I don't know, broker A and uh, Jeremy, you're broker B. And, and Andre's like, hey man, I got to sell 500 share or 500,000 shares of AMC. And Jeremy's like, ah, oh, well, okay. Hey, we can, we can get that. It's going to take us an, a couple hours or whatever to get, to get all those access to all those shares or whatever. And, uh, and, and Hey, we'll, we'll get those bought from you or something like that. Uh, to me, the, the negotiation between both of you guys, in my opinion, won't necessarily be so heavily involved in the price because the price is available on the open market. We look at the open market and go, oh, okay, it's 45 bucks today or whatever it is. All right, well, hey, I mean, we could sell them to you for 45, 25, you know, maybe 25 cents more or, or whatever, right? Or, or a fraction more, pennies more, who knows? Uh, the price discovery isn't so much of the issue. So even with a dark pool of of these these trades happening, it's not like Jeremy wants to, uh, or, or Jeremy, you know, you you want to buy shares for seventy dollars of AMC uh, because you could do that on the open market. Uh, and it's not like Andre's going to sell shares of AMC for twenty dollars because he could just dump them on the open market for uh, over time and and get a good price. So I think with stocks. I don't, I don't see the obsession personally as much with, with dark pools. Maybe I'm missing something. I just don't see the obsession because if something's happening off market, usually the biggest issue is price discovery. But, but the market price changes every tick, you know, every second. Like, it's it's very obvious what the price is. Uh, it's just maybe more of a stability thing because, like I said, you know, if, if Andre is going to dump 500,000 shares of AMC, the stock would just plummet 10%. He wouldn't be able to – the order book's not large enough, right? With real estate – the reason off-market deals are a problem is because you don't actually know what a property is worth until it hits the market because the market can then evaluate the, the pricing of that property. That's a great you, – you're making a great point there, Kevin. Yeah, because, I mean, imagine, uh, you know, I, let's say I own hypothetically 4% of Tattoo Chef and I'm like, I need to sell out of that today. I got to put that money somewhere else. Dude, if I, put, if I try to sell 4% of the company all at one time – I mean, that stock price would, would crash, you know, in a massive, massive way. It'd be so much selling pressure. So it makes much more sense to do something, um, you know, either off market or figure out some sort of deal. Because otherwise, I mean, the shareholder is going to get absolutely decimated. Some people might love that. They might love the stock crashing and get to buy it for six bucks or whatever. But outside of that scenario, it would, uh, you know, it would get pretty ugly pretty fast. So, but speaking about manipulation, I finally got a chance uh, a few days ago to watch CoffeeZilla's 35 minute video on Tether. Great video. Yeah, phenomenal video. And I was just curious, Andre, if you ever saw that video and kind of what your opinion was on that whole situation with Tether, or let's just call it, um, we don't even have to just talk about Tether. We could even talk about, you know, uh, let's call it stable coins in general. And do they have a, an impact on Bitcoin's price and things like that? Yeah, we've known about, I haven't seen that specific video from him, but we've known about Tether for a long time. 2017 was the reason uh, Bitcoin pumped because of Tether. So Tether just printed a ton of these. And then for anybody who doesn't know, Tether is just a stable coin that's supposed to represent $1 for every dollar that we create. You know, we create a stable coin. So uh, for every dollar deposited. So yeah, Bitcoin pumped in 2017 because they printed an insane amount and they never really gave us the, the numbers publicly, how much they had on the balance sheet. Because the idea is they have, you know, a dollar for every dollar they issue as a stable coin. But they didn't want to be audited and you know, Bitcoin pumped. Now, I don't know the state of Tether today and how much it's responsible for the price movement. You can actually check that stuff on chain. 
But every time Bitcoin has pumped to like an insane amount and it's gone like parabolic, there's an almost one to one correlation between Bitcoin's price going up and tethers being printed. So, I mean, that, that's a, it's a really interesting kind of observation. But, you know, how much of Bitcoin's price today is responsible because of Tether? I have no idea. It, it could very well be 90%. It could be 10% correlation. I have no idea off the top of my head. But I don't know if that video talked about that. Well, that video got into a lot. It was 35 minute beast. I mean, they got into so many different things. Uh, I mean, even even about the, the Tether founders and whatnot, and a little bit of the correlation between, let's say, uh, stable coins and, and uh, you know, Bitcoin's price. And if you look at, you know, uh, Tether, uh, basically from April, you know, throughout the end of last year, I mean, uh, even into the beginning of this year, it was just, uh, I mean, the amount of Tether that was created was astronomical. And also Bitcoin went from 3000 to, you know, 60,000 in that same amount of time. And so it's like, is, is any of that because of Tether? Is a lot of that because of Tether? Is almost all that because of Tether? Um, how yeah. much of the factors does that play in it? Another very interesting thing about Tether is that you would think that for, for a private company that's, that's printing, essentially, that's, that's doing what a central bank's job would be, you would think that at this point in time that like somebody would have stopped them, right? Like the Fed or somebody, the SEC or would have stepped in and said like, hey, like, what are you guys doing? And yet <laughs> no one's come to step in. And that, that's the only sketchy part of that story is I don't know if we're exaggerating what, what's going on with Tether or if there's something that's com that really seriously wrong that's going on. That's like, well, <laughs> the issue. Yeah, the issue is uh, the United States doesn't really have jurisdiction over them. And so it makes it into a really, really tough situation here where the United States is kind of in this situation where it's like, do do they have the power to do anything? Can they do anything? Um, and, and so that's what makes it tough. But um, man, yeah, they, they tried to take down XR or I'm sorry, Ripple uh, like that, where it's uh, what was it? The the SEC said that they're basically issuing shares of a company because each token is representing a piece of their company. And so in that sense, they were able to go after Ripple. But I can see how with 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 Tether, technically, you, you can't really go after them. There's, there's no precedent that's set. There's no agency that can go after them. Um, but it's, gosh. And the craziest thing is they're supposed to be one of the biggest players in the entire world when it comes to, uh, if I recall, the... Um, the short-term bond market or just the bond market in general, if I recall. And yet all the big bond traders are like, we never heard of them before. Like, you know, and they know everybody that's the biggest players. And so that's where it kind of starts leading into. It's like, are they just, you know, saying that this stuff is backed and it's not really backed and, oh yeah, we're one of the biggest players in commercial, commercial debt or commercial paper or whatever. And really they're, they're non-existent because all the big traders are like, we don't, we never even heard of them. Like what, what? And they're the, one of the biggest in the world. Like, how is that even possible? It doesn't make sense. So, right. Gr Graham, Kevin, what, what's your guys' two cents on this subject? I don't know. I think, listen, they're shady company. I, if you, you can't even call them a company. I don't know. There's somebody behind it. Uh, the whole business practice to me sketches me out a hundred percent. I think everyone in crypto has kind of embraced the fact that it's probably not backed by anything. At some point, it's it's going to come to a standstill. How much of that is already priced in? I think at this point, investors are already acknowledging what it is and uh, either don't care or it's just it is what it is. And they'll you know, Bitcoin is going to be around for quite some time. It's it's this might be a little uh, speed bump. Yeah, it's kind of like yeah. the boogeyman we've all accepted. Kevin, what do you think? <laughs> yeah, I. I 
stable coins they've made me nervous i i love that we just had this fall recently to 29k i really wish we fell down to like 19k so we could put some more stress on stress testing the whole system but i love it when it plummets so that way uh that, that way we, we test the market and i actually feel more confident about the crypto space so yeah I'm, i've been skeptical about stable coins uh in december of this year, uh, December or first week of January, I made a video about like how how cryptocurrency would collapse if it were to happen, and we're all about uh, the, the failure of stablecoins. So it, it's something we that uh, that's something worth paying attention to. Uh, the more we get big dips and then recoveries, though, the the more comfortable I am knowing that okay, maybe this is just a nasty beast, but hopefully it just becomes more and more irrelevant over time. Yeah. I love what you said. Uh, this was this was going on when uh, we were talking about BlockFi and and how stable coins could theoretically collapse in value. Um, and and I think you, you told me something along the lines of that there, there was nothing in history of mankind that we've ever created that was a stable coin where it was a derivative of something else that ever survived. I don't know if you could elaborate on that. Like. Do you remember that? Yeah, I, I mean, ultimately, I don't think there's ever been like a, you know, because a stable coin is almost like fiat, right? It's it's the belief that this represents value that you could redeem for something else. And uh, in, in the history of, of basically fiat or stable coins in, in this d definition, currencies don't survive. Uh, and so over, uh, you know, obviously we have more modern institutions now, like I think the US dollar is something that has a lot more strength to be able to survive. But I mean, there are also paths charted for, for the US dollar to disappear one day. You know, if we get, uh, we, if we we never end up dealing with the debt we have and people start losing faith in, in US dollar uh, assets, backed assets or whatever versus crypto, then, then what if the dollar does evaporate one day, right? But yeah, it is kind of crazy to think that no currency has ever survived. <laughs> Kevin, uh, I just sent a screenshot. You might want to put that up there. It's pretty intriguing. Yeah. It shows, um, you know, the stable coins, uh, you know, how much has been created over the past one year. Um, and, you know, you could pretty much almost identically uh, follow Bitcoin, uh, you know, across that time. And it looks like a very, very similar chart. It's, it's, it's intriguing. It's... Uh, Man, I, I don't know. It, it does. It, it's. I think something to be worried about. But it, I think it would be something that would be more of a short-term worry. But I do. I, I mean, I kind of always worry about like the, the crash that actually hurts most people. Uh, but let's see. So look at that. So the, here's tether. Yeah. And then uh, this is over time. So from it starts in September 20 though. So you've got this move up in tether printing, and this has actually been where. Bitcoin prices have, have shot up. But interestingly, Bitcoin prices really failed in, in this range right here. So I don't know. You know, that's a lot of tether uh, tether going uh, value going up yeah. here. And, and, and remember, stable coins aren't inherently bad by themselves. It's just that they're only bad if, we, if what we're printing isn't backed by anything, right? Yeah. And, and I'm hoping that tether is the only example of that and that there's not more sketchy things going on. But that's that's why I think we do need regulation. That's that's why whenever I say that in my videos, people are like, oh, you're not a true crypto uh, supporter because you want regulation. And I'm just like, no, I, I think it'll be it'll make the market safer and, and better. And for exactly these reasons. 
Yeah, I, I wish we, uh, you know, the other one I would have pulled up was uh, Tether. If you look at the, the amount of Tether created in 2018, 2019, uh, up until about April of 2020, very little. And Bitcoin seemed to not really go much of anywhere during that time. So once again, it, there might be nothing there. It's just, it is a little scary. And then when you like, is this actually backed by anything? Um and, and things like that. And it, I think the, the reason it's a scarier subject now than it's in the past is in the past crypto, it was kind of like this thing. And it's like, okay, it's just some kids playing around over there. If they get hurt, they get hurt. But crypto has gotten so big now and it has so all four of us have some sort of ties to crypto, right? We either own crypto straight up or we own crypto brokerages or something, right? So all four of us do. That That couldn't have been said five years ago, six years ago, eight years ago, right? And um, and imagine how many folks in general now are, are in the crypto space. And so I think, and does the government, you know, if this baby falls, is, is the government going to be there to save the day? I just don't think so. Um, no, yeah. no way. Absolutely no. Yeah. But no. It, and it's the only market where the where the government's not going to be there to save the day. The government will do whatever it takes to keep housing up. Government will do whatever it takes to stabilize the financial markets and try to get the stock market back up. Right? Crypto? Are they? Yeah. Once again, I, I don't think any of us believe it, that that they would be there to save the day. And so that's where I, I kind of get into this thing. And I'm like, could that be what actually takes us down? Because you, it, there's always this feeling like something's going to take us down. Is that it, or is it not? bright bad idea what if we create a central bank fed like federal reserve millennial money bank before regulations and we become <laughs> the supporters so in case anything goes wrong we just be like gotta flood the system with more stable coins. <laughs> quick. we can do uh, a save the coins token <laughs> save the coins token that's awesome i love that hey why not because we have a limited amount of money that's why how about a stable coin for stable coins that's right. That's Ooh. that. Hey, one of those you bad give us ideas. One tether, like, we'll give you back our stable coin. <laughs> <laughs> That's one of those bad ideas. You're like, that would never work. But sure. wait a minute. Wait a minute. <laughs> yeah. So that, that's so, see. Yeah. So Jeremy, to your point, or rather against your point, the, the only thing, uh, and this is something like I don't know how to resolve, uh, or like how to come to a conclusion with this. But now that the crypto market is bigger than it was in 2017, at what point do we cross that threshold? And it's like, well. The crypto market is big enough that even if Tether were to fail, that it wouldn't make much of a difference. Uh, yeah, I don't know right. what that amount is. Have we hit it yet? I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. That, that, that's a big question. And the thing is, like, ah, oh man, I mean, you watch you watch what can happen in the stock market and, and how that can fall, right? I mean, we saw it, obviously, when Roni Rona took off 35% in 22 trading days. And... Um, I think the real thing will be if we get a massive crash ever and it's actually a sustained one, because I feel like this this last, you know, Bitcoin pullback, it didn't really feel like um, it, it should have. Right. Because we, we kind of just bounce back. Up, right. And so now, there needs know. to be a serious flash crash, kind of like what Kevin was saying. We need to go from 50K to 20K in like a day or two. Then mm -hmm. we'll have a great idea of how stable the system is. But that's so point. far, we've just I been like just that. like, Let, let's go down slowly. I mean, that doesn't <laughs> stress test the system, right? So, yeah, let's well, crash the market. No, <laughs> just kidding. Let's not do that. And the question is, if if we were to get this this sort of, let's say, real big crash in crypto, and it was like, let's say something that lasted a year or two, 
what would be the domino that fell first? Would it have to be the global economy falls? Would it have to be the credit markets dry up? Would it have to be something like a tether goes down? Like, like could we foresee anything there? Because I'm just trying to see, like, where where's the next big, um, you know, like, it always feels like there's going to be something that gets us, right? And it's just a matter of time. And it's just like a ticking time bomb. And we don't know where it's going to come from. You know, 2000, it was stock market. 2008, it was real estate. Uh, the Rony Rona situation, that was very short-lived. That was everything pretty much got hit, but it was very, very short-term. Then we bounced back. And so is it going to be crypto? Is that the next shoe to fall that, that's going to get everybody? Um, and if so, I mean, where did it come from? It's going to be Dogecoin. That's a great question. I don't know. People have been talking about these bubbles for so long from yeah. – uh, you know, t tuition, the the debt bubble with uh, you know student loans to, gosh, what other bubbles are there? Real estate bubbles, stock market bubbles. There's like bubbles everywhere. I don't know, what other bubbles am I missing? <laughs> the everything bubble. The everything yeah. Bubble, bubble. Yeah. You I know, know, I like Kathy uh, Kathy Woods' thought on uh, on a bubble. She said it's really interesting. The market's not in a bubble because people are talking about it being in a bubble. And the fact that people are acknowledging that it's a bubble means it's probably not a bubble. Bubbles are usually when nobody's talking that it's a bubble. Yeah, that's she a great says. point. That, that was a reference to the stock market though. That I will say that that was a reference to the stock market specifically, right. uh, not, not really to like real estate or to crypto or something like that. I feel like you can't, I feel like no one really tries to call crypto a bubble now because one, they look stupid every time crypto goes up huge, right? And two, it's like if if you say crypto is a bubble now, like why didn't you say it a year ago? Because you could have said the same thing. It, like you know, it's just uh, I don't know, man. But I feel like uh, what what do you think, Kevin? Come on, explain this to me. <laughs> <laughs> Macroeconomic. Uh, it look people have too much money, man. Just look at reverse repos. You know, it's everybody's got money, 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 money. It's it's crazy, uh, especially people who who have been part of the stock market for the last year. Look, since February, things have been crap. There's been plenty of reasons to, to or have, unless of course you were an index funds, Graham. Uh, <laughs> but but uh, you know, there's been a lot of uncertainty and a lot of uh, like the waves. The way I almost think about it is like the fish tank. Uh, Graham's fish tank is is like on on a truck and it's just going up a hill with this index fund. But because it's on a semi truck, the water inside the fish tank is like, oh my gosh! <laughs> but it just keeps going up. Meanwhile, everyone's panicking inside the fish tank. Uh, but uh, but there's there's so much money, man. I don't I don't know. I I, I just don't see uh, I don't see a big collapse anytime soon. Wow. So there's too much money. So. Uh... Man, that's interesting. So there's just there's too much money, so that just nothing bad can really happen then. You know what's what's interesting? Uh, but for the last year, if you look at the the entire S and P 500, and not to say this is going to continue, but for the last year, it's very interesting. We hit a new high. We immediately dropped three to five percent over the following week. People start buying in. It goes back up. There's a new high. A few weeks later, drops three to five percent. People come by. This has been going on for the past year. This is not just something the last few months. This is the last year we've done this. Now, eventually, we'll hit that 5%. It'll keep dropping. It'll keep dropping. It'll keep dropping. But for now, it seems to be following this pattern that, uh, you know, at this rate, the S&P could be at, uh, I don't know, 47 Jeez. in a few months from now. I mean, 
who knows? But listen, at this point, it's like when things drop, I, I'm sitting like uh, with Kevin. I'm just buying. I just keep buying. So, yeah. you know, there is a lot of money sitting on the sidelines. And to Kevin's point, Fidelity just did a, a, a study where they said that there are now more 401k and IRA millionaires, yeah. 74 up 74 and a half percent year over year. Wow. 74 and a half percent more accounts have hit the seven figure mark in just the last year. That's crazy. So, yeah, oh, we, uh, we have a lot of money. Yeah. Let, let, let's talk about who's really got the money, though. You know, I hear this. Everybody's got too much money. Is it is it literally everybody? Is it is it is it the middle class? I think that's my question. Is it the middle class even has too much money or is it only, let's say, the top 10 percent that has too much money? It's the older people, right? It's the it's the older generation that have been investing for 30, 40 years. That seems to be the one I would imagine. I don't know. What do you guys think? What do you, what do you everyone. think? Kevin? <laughs> everyone. everyone. Right. It's literally okay. everyone. It's, everyone. It's the fact that wow. people who have never been invested in stocks <clears throat> in 2020 and, and even into 2021 got into stocks. People, people who were in in 2020 made lots of money. The people who weren't in, didn't get in in 2020, got in in 2021. Like, oh my gosh, everybody's making money. So it's it. We've we've gone from this society of of oh no, like investing. That's that's you need a manager or whatever for that. And, and oh, oh, I'll invest one day in the future too. No, 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 invest now and let it sit there. That's why there's just so much more money. It's it's this new like uh, Ray Dalio says. Oh, it's a new paradigm. Of course, his. His vision is still that at some point we're in the you know seventh or eighth inning and the big crash is coming, which whatever, whatever, right? But um, I mean, maybe. But for right now, <laughs> it's money. People got too much of it. Too much. Yeah. Jeremy, it just seems like there's so much information out there. Even with our YouTube channels, I mean, like look how many videos we put out every week and every month, and we're kind of more or less saying, you know, we're following the same paths and the same steps that we've done for the last decade. And I feel like because of this open information, it's just like, like Kevin said, people are investing more where we're not like, we know the basic tenets of investing, just, just buy and hold index funds, just, just keep accumulating the shares. Don't pay attention to what the market's doing. And, and that's more true than ever before. So yeah, like what Kevin said about Ray Dalio's seventh inning thing, I don't, I don't even know if that's ever going to happen. I just feel like we're smarter now as a result of the technology, as a result of YouTube and all the videos that we've done. And I don't know, we probably play like 1% of the role, but I'm just, if that, but still. Yeah, no, that, that's an intriguing thing. And then it's like, you know, if, if a shoe does ever drop, why not just print a bunch of money? Fed, come on, Jay pal <laughs> I mean, you know, that, that's another thing we kind of got to consider there. And so, you know, when, when these people make these bets, let's say a, a bearish bet on the market, the market's going to crash, you know, ARC fund's going to crash, whatever, right? I mean, a lot of times they're they're predicting that there's kind of this like dry up of money and everybody starts selling, selling, selling and, and um, you know, pulling back and it could happen. But it's hard to see if if the Fed really just steps back in and just like, oh, here's the money sloshing out there. Um, so I don't know. And they'll just print more if Delta gets bad and then then we'll have even more money. You know what? <laughs> But could that could that be a, a potential reason why the stock market is doing better? Because Delta is getting a bit worse, people are a little bit less worried about the money printer stopping. Yes. So that, <laughs> that's kind of what I'm thinking, yeah. too. I mean, from the stock market's perspective, the longer this continues, the higher it's going to go. But, but then you also risk the higher it goes, the bigger drop. 
could be if it does. Maybe not. But the, the longer the taper stays, the longer the music's on at the club and the longer people are happy or, or the longer the taper doesn't happen. Right. Uh, you know, if, if Delta means it delays the, the taper and we keep printing money. Great. The party keeps going. And, uh, right. you know, I, I don't think uh, uh, people are. Uh, you know, in, in a hurry to really get out of the market anytime soon. They just don't want to miss the opportunity of it going up, especially if inflation inflects downwards. You know when the market's going to crash? It's going to crash when everybody reasons exactly like that. When everybody's going to be like, the party's never going to end. The Fed's going to save us. And when everybody says that, that's when it's going to go sideways. That's going to go south. A lot of people are already thinking that, though, that, that the Fed is not going to let the market crash. Right. Mm -hmm. And so well, far, they have not. Maybe yeah, we'll never the, the Fed will <laughs> never. I don't think the Fed will ever come out. Uh, it, it, you know, unless we we have this this real collapse in the market, like we we did in in uh, March of 2020, where we were worried about banks going under and and credit not flowing. I don't think the Fed is going to ever come out and just bluntly say, "Hey, like we need to save the stock market." They don't really care. I think we saw that in like February and March when the Fed's just like, it doesn't matter, you know, asset values are high or whatever. The, the way they come out is they go, we want to make sure that blacks and Hispanics uh, or women or other people who are disproportionately represented in service jobs have an opportunity to participate in the economic recovery. That's sort of their go-to. And so as long as the black and Hispanic unemployment rate remains higher, uh, substantially higher than the white unemployment rate, and the longer the women unemployment rate remains higher, I think the longer the cheap money will keep flowing. So those are the numbers I would look at if you're worried about the Fed. That's interesting. That's a cool wow. idea. Yeah, and, and then it leads into a subject you say, well, if uh, the Fed helped or the money sloshing has helped the economy and wages have finally really started roaring up. Like, I don't know what the data shows from the government, but I, I know, Kevin, recently you posted something somewhere about a job at Panda Express paying something. And I, I, I had lunch with a friend today and he said that uh, one of his kids just got a job fresh out of high school, $23 an hour. I'm like, dude, I know. I'm like, I had a uh, my first job was $7.50 an hour. And I'm like, you know, and that was I felt lucky. Dude, I felt lucky to get that job for $7.50 an hour. $23 an hour, like out of high school, no, no college. I'm like, dude, that's insane. And I'm good for him. Good for him. And good for them. Now, here's the thing. Here's a serious question. Now, are they hiring that person full time or are they giving them 28 hours a week? Cause I uh, think yeah. it does make a difference if you're, if you're paying that price for part-time work versus full-time 40 hours a week. I, I don't know, but regardless, man, I wish those jobs were there when I got out of high school, man. I would have made a lot more money and invested a lot faster, making $23 an hour. And, <laughs> and I mean, you, you see it in Vegas, a lot of these jobs, very entry-level jobs that like, uh, you know, working as like a cook at a fast food place, it's like $15, $16, $17 an hour, you know? I mean, those jobs were just so dang hard. Retail's even gone up substantially. Like, you know, I, I think Target, if you want an entry-level Target job, I think you're over $15 an hour in Vegas, if I recall. I think I've seen the signs and it's like pays 15 something an hour, 1550 or whatever. I'm like, geez. But then you get in the subject, if that's good, then do we ever do a universal basic income? That's going to come back. I guarantee you that's, that's going to be the subject that's going to come back and we're going to talk about it. Yeah. It, it, 
it's a matter of time. It, it, maybe it, right now is not the moment when it's uh, appropriate because people feel like, well, there's a lot of jobs out there and in those sorts of things. But if, if all of a sudden we get going that other way, it might be like, well, look, at we printed all that money. We put all that money in the economy and look what well, look what it did to the economy in 2021 or out of that or into 2022. And now we need to do something similar. Why not do universal basic income? I wouldn't be, I would not be surprised. They've been testing it out in small groups so far. And uh, I think more testing needs to be done, but it does seem as though there are some good cases for it that people can focus on finding the right job. That's good for them. Instead of taking the first job that's available at the lowest pay, just because they need to get a job. So I, th I think there are cases both for and against it, but it'll be easy to see how this how this really takes uh, shape here in the U.S. There's a there's a lot of people that are more open to the idea, and I think what happened in 2020 made a lot of folks. I remember um, I had a friend who's a very very staunch Republican, you know, it's like super super Republican, right? And uh, I remember asking him, I said, you know, when they were going to give out the money to the the small businesses, I was like. Hey, don't you think that's like a little socialistic, you know, cause he's like, so against socialism or whatever. And he was kind of like, no, 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 it's okay. You know? And, uh, and so I think that's kind of like that, that slow kind of melting in where certain folks on that side start feeling like, ah, it's not the worst thing I could understand it. And then the other side's all for it. You, you, you know, you only need a little over half the, the folks to, to believe in it. Right. So yeah. I don't know. People say, some, people say some funny stuff though. I've heard, <laughs> I've heard some like, it's like, yeah, I was on food stamps before, but the government didn't help me. <laughs> <laughs> right. So uh, I back. looked this up, back. Graham, and yeah. it looks like leisure and hospitality, you might be right, leisure and hospitality out of all of the weekly hours of like mining or construction or manufacturing or wholesale trade, utilities, whatever, leisure and hospitality, and it's always been this case, have the lowest average weekly hours and overtime worked. Uh, the lowest uh, reading here, it's um, 26.6 hours is the average weekly earned. And this has been the case yeah. in 2020. This has been the case in months prior. Out of all of the work sectors, uh, leisure and hospitality has the lowest hours. Makes sense. And keep in mind, too, I think a good reason for that is because of just – how many people, if someone cancels last minute or can't make it, you need so many backups. And I think the turnover mm. for a lot of that's pretty high. So you have to keep getting people in. But also you don't want to give them 40 hours because then what was it? Full uh, full time and then they get all the other benefits and that's too too much money. So you got to give them just like just enough. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah, a lot, a lot of times true. it benefits both sides, you know, because you think about it like a lot of times like the worker, like when I used to work at Walgreens, I wasn't necessarily looking for 40 hours a week, right? Because I was like running track, going to college and stuff like that. So, uh, but I remember at Walgreens, I think you, if you went over 30 hours um, consistently, then, then you were like full time and you got certain benefits and whatnot. So, yeah, obviously, they, you know, the, the incentive back then at least was to keep you under 30 unless you were truly like a, a you know, somebody that was going all the way. So, but anyways, guys, any crypto stocks we're buying out there? I've obviously been, you know, at you last know what? I will say not crypto, but uh, gosh, I've, I've been getting really tempted to buy a crypto punk. You, what? Yeah. All right. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm just starting. I'm, I'm doing research on it and probably a while, a while, a ways away from doing something like that. But uh, I don't know. I've wanted to buy a, uh, it sounds crazy, uh, but a Keith Haring 
like an original Keith Haring and uh, just been a huge fan. But I don't know. I, I started. I started to look at like the like the values of some of these things, and it's CryptoPunks. Wait, Graham, tell tell people who don't know what that is. What, what is that? So CryptoPunks are an NFT, and they're like the most basic. It, it's it's kind of silly looking. It's like pixels. It, it, it's these silly little things. Uh, there's ten thousand of them, but they're all unique. They're all a little bit different. And right now, I think the cheapest CryptoPunk is like two hundred something thousand dollars. It, it's wild. Now. I think just a year ago, these things were like, what, 10, 20, 30, 50 grand, like, like somewhere around there. They're going up. I could see these things in the future being double or triple what they are. And I, I, I know it sounds, I know it sounds not give 10 years, 20 years. I could see. Jeremy's years, like, how do you value this stuff? I don't know. <laughs> but I don't this know. This is a part of the episode where I just start going off. I'm, I'm not gonna even going to say anything. But Kevin, when you said people have way too much money, you meant it and you were right. Yeah, I was mostly just talking about Graham. He's he's trying to you know buy new cars, buy a bigger fish tank, buy another house in Vegas. I don't know. It's it's like he's he's bored. He's bored. That's what it is. He's bored of the index fund. I don't know. But when you put a Keith Haring and a CryptoPunk side by side, and you think what is going to have a higher resale value twenty years from now, I would not tattoo chef stock. (laughs) <laughs> or probably have to give it to the crypto punk though you know and we'll see here's the thing it's like i, I feel like if there's going to be a huge crash that's going to be hit the hardest i mean this this could easily fall 80 80 85 percent so yeah that's very adventurous of you i don't really mess with nfts too much i have that's one fair. from steve Aoki, and i i i just i'm waiting for for the people who create these nfts to give them some use cases like if I'm Steve Aoki, I want to say, hey, if you have my NFT, you can come to my show. You can you can come to the club and, and watch my for a lifetime's worth. That that's cool. That makes sense to me. That's a valuable, tangible thing. But so far I haven't seen it on that level yet. And I don't know. I'm just that's what I'm waiting Visa. For. Visa just bought earlier today. It's just a pure coincidence. Uh, uh bought a CryptoPunk. Really? And it's yeah, Visa. And they wow. made it to Twitter profile picture. You know they're just doing it for publicity. Of course. <laughs> of course. Of course. <laughs> but I'm just saying, of all the things they could have done for publicity, they chose they chose a CryptoPunk. And uh, again, I think it's very hypey right now. So like, I'm not, this is not something I would be doing anytime soon. But the more I, I, I saw research, one for half a million, I think, right? It was, uh, what's up? I think, I think I saw I saw one sell for like half a million. I think that's at some point. The most. Of, oh, you know what? Even Christie's, even Christie's was. Uh, I, I think either they sold uh, CryptoPunks or they 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 have them featured. But uh, it's interesting. Even Christie's is taking them seriously. The most expensive one sold for seven and a half million dollars. Jeez. Yeah. That's insane. Oh my gosh. No, not for me for now. I'm not I'm not that adventurous yet. I'm not that bored with my index funds yet. I hope to get to that point. No, but definitely we'll experiment with it. Jeremy, we're trying to get you to buy crypto. You're like NFTs. <laughs> yeah. But I'm looking at this here. It looks like uh Visa is trying to be the uh the payment processor in the future of people buying NFTs. So it's brilliant. It's an investment. Visa was built on the vision of electronic enablement, uh, enablement of mon- moving money, uh, blah, 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 blah. 
Visa strives to enable connections to new crypto and blockchain networks, offering greater choice, enabling access, blah, blah, blah. Basically, they want to be your payment processor. So, of course, they want to get into the NFT world because basically they're bestowing legitimacy onto the NFT world and then saying, by the way, let us be the payment processor when you go buy NFTs. Uh, yeah. They're going to make their money back like that. Yeah. yeah, they probably have aspirations to be like the next lightning network, essentially. <clears throat> yeah. Something like that. Yep. Just something to think about. Putting it out there. I want to. I want. I want to get something. Something else. But uh, just, just throwing. He's got it too out. much money, everyone. <laughs> He's bored. Graham, are you bored? Be honest with us. He's not denying I, he, it. Listen, I will tell you. I, I got something else. But um, oh gosh, it, it's cheap. It's it's not that expensive. But you know the. Uh, it, I I don't want to give away the grand. whole thing. Not that but, much. But, but you know the uh, the Goosebumps uh, books covers the art. I knew you were gonna say Goosebumps. <laughs> I got I got a uh, well I bought a, a, a authentic sketch signed by the uh, by the illustrator. Oh, that's awesome! So I thought it was, uh, this is cool. That's, that's super it. Cool. He's looking for write-offs at this point. At <laughs> <laughs> uh, that time of the year. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, right. just, uh, there's just alternative I, things that I think are fun that, uh, you know, they're not, I don't think they're going to go down in value. That's all. Hmm. <laughs> I'm, so trying, I'm trying my best not to say anything, you know. Right. If it was Kevin or Andre, I would easily attack and go on the attack right now. But since it's Graham, I'm just going to let it slide. All right. Okay. <laughs> we'll Keeping my mouth shut. We'll see. Just give it 10 years. Just give it 10 years. We'll come back let's, hey, let's just wrap up this episode because the longer we go, the more I'm, it's going to be right. hard for me. Can we just wrap it up, guys? All right. So with that said, you guys, make sure to check out, uh, check out the uh, Millennial Money Clips channel down below in the description. Just go and subscribe to that. Totally free to do. Right down below in the description. Super easy. Hit the like button. Subscribe here. Half the people who watch these videos are not even subscribed. Just go and subscribe. It takes you a split second. All our information is down below in the description. Thank you guys so much for watching, and until next time. Peace. Oh, that's my cue to stop the video. <laughs> Here we go. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Coriant has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Coriant has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corian's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com.